Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Mo Isern, co-founder of Perfect, co-founder of The Shift, and founder at Moped Productions. Welcome, Mo. We're so excited to have you on. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Mackenzie. Hi, Nick. Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. To get started, I have to say that your career has been nothing short of dynamic. Uh, You've gone from broadcast journalism to now co-founding not only a mission-driven cannabis company in Perfect, but a mental health organization called The Shift. Can you talk about the moments that motivated you enough to take such leaps and trust maybe the foundations of your own talents and ambition? Wow. well, thank you first. And <laughs> what motivated me to take leaps? Um, to some degree, blind faith, you know, trust and intuition, uh, being open to believing that something can show up as an answer to a question you asked and um, being willing to say yes when you don't necessarily know where it's going to go. Wow. Those would be, the, I guess, o- like overarching themes that I, as I reflect on where I've been and what I've, what I've chosen to do, I think has been recurring since, you know, probably my teenage years. Like, let's see, let's see what happens. Yeah. And you also put so much passion into maybe the mission or the cause behind what you do. Can you talk about maybe first the shift and how you put your passions into action in founding that organization? Sure. I would have to back up a little bit to just the origin of Moped production being so impact oriented and wanting to focus my storytelling on uh, issues I wanted to spotlight, things that I thought could use, you know, attention, would inspire people. And so, you know, fast forward about 13 years into that or 12 years into that, um, I, you know, I came across an opportunity by meeting Mary Albertoli and Nadia Sarmova, or you know, my co-founders at the Shift, and really feeling drawn to creating content that would invite people to ask themselves questions, not necessarily provide answers, but open a doorway into what questions do I have? What have I not asked myself? What do I have trouble? verbalizing or asking to begin with, do I feel comfortable asking these questions about my mental health? Um, And I think the origin of it was really just my own, for myself, my own experience. I think a lot of these mission-oriented companies really come from a marriage of, you know, a a founder who has a a purpose and and where that purpose can be of service. Um, You know, they talk about product market fit. There's also the brand founder fit, like the purpose of the brand and the the founder that originates it. And in our cases, it's, you know, there's multiple founders who in merging what we were interested in, what we were um, inspired by, it, it developed into the shift. That might be a really convoluted way to answer, but I think that uh, I just remember very clearly, specifically with Mary Albertoli, when she called me and, and introduced herself and shared what she was interested in doing as a former social worker who'd worked with teens and adolescents, uh, specifically who had been suicidal, self-harming, or a threat to others. 
and she uh, had heard a, a story about a young girl who had killed herself at nine years old due to racial bullying. And for her, for from her perspective, felt like enough was enough. What could we do? What could we say? What could we create? And the answer was, I don't know, but yes, you know, for my part. And um, so that that was really the way it began. And I could go on for hours and hours about the why. Um, but I think the why is really about what what people out there need, you know, their own why around mental health. It's such an amazing organization. Can you in like a maybe condensed way just uh, state the mission of the shift and what what the goal is of that organization? The shift originated to start the conversation and stop the stigma around mental health for young people specifically. Over time, it's evolved to create a space to access any way to shift your state, you know, creating like a mental health toolbox and opportunities to just touch on, you know, questions and content that can move you from one place to another, wherever you are. Right. And obviously an incredible story might've moved you into wanting to say yes uh, to that mission. Um, can you talk about the role that storytelling plays in these efforts? Well, I think you can be prescriptive and tell people why they should do things and, you know, give them good cause, right? It's good for you. It's healthy. It's the right thing to do. Here's the the promise. But I think that um, storytelling can sometimes uncover, you know, aspects of our values or our concerns that are less easy to identify. Um, you know, something like feeling isolated or feeling misunderstood or not knowing that you don't even know how to express. Those kinds of things aren't necessarily yes or no questions. They're not necessarily like, if you feel this way, do this, this, and this. So I think sometimes somebody sharing their own journey can transport you into reflecting for yourself where do I, where does this uh, relate to me? How do, where am I the hero in this story, right? When we tell stories, we're always the hero of our own story. Nobody is really telling a story about another person out there being the hero. If they're writing one, they're still, you know, they're, they're, you're still the the writer of that hero and you're still traveling with them. And um, so whether it's somebody sharing a struggle, whether it's somebody sharing a, a way that they've broken through a struggle, whether it's somebody sharing advice from having overcome a struggle, I think we all put ourselves in those in those shoes and go, well, what would that look like for me? And, and then it's safer and easier and more accessible to try on. Yeah. Can you talk about how it affects maybe talking about these stigmatized ideas and and opening up a space to to feel less alone? I think part of it is listening for recognizing that people are in a different place in their journey. So you might have a product that quote solves a problem like, oh, you have a stigma. Here's a solution. Or you have a, a you know, a pain point and here's a pain reliever. When you're talking about stigma, you have to understand that not everyone's ready to say, I have that pain to begin with, and then to accept any kind of offer, right? So if you're a product that's relying on converting a sale or converting, you know, somebody attending an event or converting someone to become a volunteer. And they have all these hesitations and concerns and values and risks and, and fears, then you can't get them into your product journey. You know, we talk about user journey and marketing. You can't get them into your product journey if 
they're in a different part of the journey in their life, right? Your life is your journey. Your life is your, you know, your personal, call it your personal product journey. And so where does your product that may deal with something stigmatized fit into their life journey? How do you get them to, to come to your product if they're already, you know, if there's already these other barriers? Um, so you're not selling, you know, lip gloss or a bracelet or shoes that they're already accepted into your value system and you're just competing on messaging or, or you know, some kind of value statement or aesthetic um, or what's in the product. But you're instead, I think you're instead relating to, um, you know, very deep, deep emotions and uh, places where people aren't easily going to look or easily going to, you know, be magnetized. So part of how that impacts storytelling is sometimes it's telling more about the, the story about those concerns or about those fears instead of telling a story about your product. Because until somebody understands there's a way in, even with fear or even with concern, they're not going to be open to your product. Does that, yeah. does that feel? Yeah. 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 It's such a beautiful way to put it. My mind is blown right now. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be a cool way to talk about uh, your other endeavor. <laughs> nice transition in uh, in perfect and 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 talk about your introduction into you know co-founding a cannabis company and how that maybe complements these efforts. Yeah, I think um, in both of the you know whether you're talking about mental health or you're talking about cannabis, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of fear. There's stigma. There's misinformation. Um, there's some resources that are more reliable than others. And where do you start? You know, if you're just showing up to the conversation or you've had a bad experience with it in the past, or you've been away from using, you know, mental health services or cannabis products, you know, it's, it's, it's about, um, recognizing where I think, there's a need that hasn't been solved or the solution hasn't been a solution enough to compel people, you know, to feel like they're taken care of. Right. Um, Perfect originated out of, you know, connecting with uh, Dean Hollander, who I'd worked with, you know, decade prior through production around social impact work. And he shared with me about, you know, confusion in cannabis and the experience of buying a product that you may or may not be able to find again, whether it was because, you know, the harvest was different or the, the, um, the product had been on the shelf for a while and had degraded. And he really wanted to make it easier for a consumer to know what to ask for and to know that they could rely on what they were going to expect. Um, and I really didn't know a whole lot about cannabis when we were having this conversation. I had just learned, you know, that there was a sativa and there was an indica and I'd learned that there was a medical side to it. I really was misinformed, malinformed, whatever, you know, like um, ill-informed. And as I learned more about what cannabis enabled from a medical standpoint and then the barriers that had been, you know, in the, in the way and, and created and imposed and um, the way certain communities had been treated around it. I mean, it, you know, I just felt like, wow, this is a social issue. This is a, this is a, a mission. And my own mother uh, had gone through cancer for 13 years and had passed recently at that time. 
And I remember standing in the hospital the day they were telling us that she was going to go to hospice. And I asked if cannabis could help. That was how little I knew about cannabis. And that's how little it had been brought up. It had never been brought up. And so, you know, fast forward a few years later and I'm starting to learn about this and I'm realizing, wow, I'm a little angry. You know, I'm a little like, (laughs) I guess it got my motor running, you know, going back to like how moped started. It was really about things that got my, you know, my engine going, I guess. And so this, this felt really personal. And um, then we met Michael Backas, who wrote Cannabis Pharmacy. He started to formulate blends that that met the expectation of what we wanted to deliver. And, you know, the three of us as co-founders have been really um, excited to see where, you know, education is a way in to let people see the opportunity of something that maybe they haven't seen a certain way. Um, One of the things that, you know, we run into is people have a lot of fear around the side effects, the downside of cannabis if you're not using it you know, with some level of know-how or knowing what you're using. And so just starting with, you know, where Michael started, which was learning about the plant, learning about what the properties are and how that interacts with your body um, and learning about what's important to people and their quality of life, right? Like out there, uh, consistency may not matter to everybody, but if you find the audience that it does matter to somebody who needs to function but has headaches or, you know, has a, a hard time focusing and maybe other medication gives other side effects that, you know, they don't want to deal with. Um, just finding out what's important to people has been where it, it becomes less about marketing a product and more about um, sharing an option to solve, you know, a real pain point. And, I think for myself, having experienced the difference between what Michael has developed and what you know I had experienced before, um, it really has been a quality of life change. So when something that seems really uh, trivial like cannabis to some people, it might seem like it's a hobby or it might seem like it's a fad or it might seem like it's a distraction when you start to, you know, for myself, when I started to learn like, wow, this is really fundamental to like the way I live my life or the ability to live it with fulfillment or with appreciation for certain things or without these other things that were there that were getting in the way. Um, then it's like, yeah, I want that for anybody. I want that for anybody who wants to try it. Yeah. And, yeah. and it'll be different for everyone, right? We talk about how perfect is different for everyone. Everyone's perfect is different. Um, you know, feel the way you want to feel is about defining how do you want to feel and who can really tell you that but yourself? How do you want to feel? And what does feeling your perfect look like for you? For some people, that's a blanket in a book. And for some people, that's, you know, the beach side, or for some people, that's knocking out their checklist. And um, it's not really for us to decide what your perfect is, but to provide opportunities to achieve that. Yeah. And it feels, I want to talk a little bit about marketing it because I think uh, just aesthetically, it feels like that that resonates. It's bright colors. It's clean. It's not, it doesn't carry any of the the essence of maybe that cannabis culture that was sort of like this counterculture, grungy, you know, like 
recreational, uh, you know, a little bit uh, scary and dark thing. You know, like cannabis used to have sort of people could put an image of like the typical persona that a cannabis user would be. And I think that it's cool to see brands like Perfect that are redefining even the visual aesthetic of this type of company. Yeah, I think there's there's room for everyone, you know, and there's um, something to be said about people who've had to be in this industry or in this space without the permission and still yet moving the needle forward and standing for access to the plant and the ability to choose this as a medicine or as a recreational device, right? And and I think that there's a lot of value and, and need for that. Um, I think that there's also space for people who are scared, you know, to reach for it and people who have real, um, you know, barriers like the stigma can be a marketing campaign, you know, getting past the stigma can be a marketing campaign, but at home, at your kitchen table, or at your child's school, or at your office, you have your concerns and no marketing campaign is going to just disappear that. Right. You have to, you know, education yeah. and, and other aspects and, and sort of a an acceptance from people um, in the open um, is going to add to the ability for anybody and everyone to access it. And I would say there's a large part of the legacy, you know, uh, community that really is about that. It's about everybody. You know, there's in any in any industry, there's going to be like the old school versus the new school and there's going to be culture clash. And that's inside of literally any industry. But um, I think the the idea that this is a medicine that that grows from the earth and that is an opportunity for anybody and everybody to see if it helps them for whatever they need. Um, obviously, with the, you know, healthy healthy education and, and the right, um, the right usage, then, then it's really about, okay, so let's, let's just make space for everybody. And, and a lot of people are not going to be able to carry a blunt and light it up on the sidewalk <laughs> and be confident or, you know, or, or like just be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But that person that does man, more power, that's, that's like a power move. I mean, I give them a lot of, credit. I've tried it. I like the grape blunts, but I can only do like two puffs before I'm choking. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about uh, founding these organizations? Because founding things uh, is a whole different animal than simply marketing them and coming in with uh, with that sort of purpose. Because you're, it's a lot, you know, a lot more red tape, a lot more challenges to sort of occupy your mental space. Um, what kinds of things have you learned as a founder um, and maybe how has that, uh, how have you applied your marketer's eye to being a founder of these organizations? Ooh, um, as a founder, uh, there's a little bit of always being slightly dissatisfied <laughs> you know, <laughs> as a, <laughs> to achieve something that you see is possible, right? I mean, you've been motivated to wake up every day, salary or no salary, you know, um, team or no team, uh, resources or no resources to like achieve something that you're passionate about. And even as you go through the process of like building, I think there's always this tension between where you are and where you want to be or where you see other people going and where, you know, um, 
you know, you're aiming for. And I think it's, it's, um, you kind of have to be ready to like swallow your pride to some degree, because sometimes you feel like you're just, you know, like missing something, right? Like how, um, I don't want to scare people from entrepreneurship, so maybe no. <laughs> but um, I think that, you know, it's, it's like a, it's more than like a transactional relationship with your job. Um, and I think part of what being a founder is, is both being slightly dissatisfied and also being willing to find how to measure progress and how to measure ways to be satisfied. You know, if it's not all, in numbers then maybe it's in you know launching certain ideas or testing certain messages or reaching certain people i think at the end of the day when you're a founder it boils down to how do you become something to someone to someone it 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 makes it to me it makes it so much more purposeful than trying to be everything for everyone and it can sometimes feel like two parts of the brain, you know, a, a really personal, um, how do you have one person have that aha moment? How do you have that one person reach for you or your brand or your products when this moment happens in their life? And what is that moment that happens that has them reach for you? And if you can identify that moment and become that, that for that one person, then, then you can, become that for others. But until you have that really strong, I think, depth of connection, then, you know, you're easily removable from that, from your consumer's life, right? They can reach for anything else. So um, whether it was for the shift or, you know, for perfect, for me, it was very personal. It was an experience for me where it became something for me. And therefore I saw this can be something for a lot of people. How do we get to that? And it's a different, it's a different way of waking up and, and a different way of knocking out things that aren't, you know, always fun to do, but you know, that they're for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, that was deep. <laughs> no, there's just, just nothing all that in. Here. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think too, one thing about entrepreneurship that I love is that, you know, depending on the team you're with, you, you know, you have to fail you have, you're going to fail for one. So like, accept that. And then how do you fail fast? How do you fail often? How do you fail up? How do you fail with generosity for your team? That's trying. How do you fail for, um, with knowing that you don't know what you don't know and that you don't know what you're going to know in six months and you don't know what's going to impact you from other spaces that, you know, are coming into fruition. So, I think when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a founder of something, you're not just looking in your own industry, you're looking at other industries that correlate or complement and how do you intersect with them? How do you converge with them? How does something new come out of that? So it's exciting because you get to say like which parts you dial into and which you watch from afar. So, you know, something like cannabis and AI, for instance, two seemingly completely unrelated things, those are industries that are converging. And from that, you have, you know, personalized cannabis in the future and technology that's already out that can help you diary your usage and understand the impact and what factors played into how you responded that day or to that dosage. 
With mental health, we're seeing technology create all sorts of access and availability of services and taking away the need to go through the same steps that got, you know, that were barriers in the past. For instance, you know, do you have a way to get to a therapist? Do, do, do people in your life support you such that you can get there, whether it's through money, transportation, you know, permission, if you're a minor, there's just so many ways that the world keeps shifting and, and changing that when you're a founder, you're kind of in that mix of like super head down tactical, you know, sticky note level. And then you're also in the looking up and out. And if you have, you know, the luxury of that, um, it's important to keep yourself inspired and your team inspired um, so that it's not all, all about like the project for this week, but really like what's that future you're also enabling by getting through this week or this quarter for this year. Yeah. Do you mind just for fun taking us through your career journey from, you know, even the beginnings of Moped Production all the way till till now? As a teenager, I was introverted yet a creative and performing type. And that what I mean by that is like I struggled with a lot of performance anxiety, stage fright, you know, memory blanks and stuff like that. But I loved I loved engaging people through story, through performance. And I took a lot of writing classes in my art magnet school that I went to for uh, high school. And I in college continued to pursue performance through voice, knew that I wasn't going to be a professional singer went into more of the writing world to, I think, be able to satisfy like my curiosity around psychology and anthropology and just my interest in people and, and how people work um, and how communities work, uh, how culture works. And I ended up finding myself in, you know, a, a journalism uh, internship as a producer. And interestingly enough, I thought I didn't want to be a producer because that meant sitting at the desk. And I was like, no, I want to be out there with people. You know, I want to be telling stories. So I asked to switch to reporting and I started to shadow a reporter who mentored me and Craig, who I remember being so sweet and just letting me like ask her a million questions and showing me like, this is what it's like to be out here. Here's what you have to think about. And then I went back to college, switched to my journalism minor that I then enrolled in at Florida A&M while I was enrolled in a communication major at Florida State. At FAMU, I learned about a production assistant position at the local CBS. Um, my journalism teacher encouraged me to, to sign up. I got the job. And so my senior year in college, I was waking up at four or five in the morning to get to the station for, you know, the super early show. And I was a production assistant, became an associate producer. And then I was offered an on-screen calendar, you know, spot. And my news director uh, kind of tested me out on camera and then offered me a reporter job right on graduation, which was, it was a dream come true. I, I became a bureau reporter in South Georgia, in Thomasville, Georgia, for the Tallahassee CBS station, WCTV. I started doing live shots, single, you know, one-man banding, quote-unquote, learning about people, you know, meeting people and falling in love with storytelling. And then 9-11 happened and I was brought to Tallahassee to report on 9-11, as many people were. And it was a really intense day. And I just remember asking myself if, if I felt like I wanted to be the face of, you know, that story of, of stories that mean that much to people. And it was really scary. 
So I just chose to depart from news and find a longer form way of storytelling. You know, I left the news station. Uh, I went to New York, literally like packed my car, sold my stuff, went to New York, started working retail in New Jersey at the mall and board folding shirts poorly. <laughs> and and my friend called me that I'd made, you know, back in, in news. And he had then since then moved to New York was at MTV News, said, hey, there's a new channel starting at MTV called MTVU. Do you want to interview for it? And I was not really sure at that point if I did. I didn't really know what he was asking. And he's like, get out of bed, just go interview. <laughs> and so I did that. I got the job. And by the time I got the job, I was practically begging for it because I realized like what an amazing opportunity it was. And I ended up working with MTVU for a, a while as a producer. I traveled to college campuses filmed, edited, wrote, and then departed after about a year and a half of full time to both look into acting again and also, you know, just see what else was out there around production. And the long and short of it was that it it drew me towards production for longer form and impact storytelling. I started Moped in 2007 um, and just started with interviewing different leadership at foundations, at nonprofits and going like, what's important to your organization? What is it that you don't have that a story would help you access? So I started creating short form content for nonprofits, foundations, and then the digital space started to emerge more and more. And I started doing it, you know, for fashion and series and developing shows. Then, you know, the shift opportunity came around and that felt like the perfect marriage of short form, long form, digital, young people, impact, and, uh, and that continues to evolve. And then, yeah, and Perfect really came out around the same time. And then Moped continues to produce, you know, short form and long form. I have a documentary in development around uh, nutraceuticals and, and food uh, and nutrition. I have other work around impact and social justice and equity for the BIPOC and Black community. And I just feel so fortunate overall <laughs> to really be doing so much of what I love doing. So I want to ask on the topic of staying on the topic of moped, where you're storytelling in a very functional way, how have you felt that that has helped you on the strategic side to develop the other two brands? Well, I think with moped, I worked often with organizations that are fundraising and they have to answer to how they're spending those funds and why. And those funds need to be spent in a way that moves the needle for them. And so it enables you to think very strategically, very functionally um, about how, how content's being created at scale, efficiently in an evergreen kind of way. I think startup is really similar. You know, you're working with sweat equity or limited funds or, you know, very hard to come by funds. So you have to be thoughtful about not just creating to create, but creating value in what you're creating. Again, it, it takes you to what's going what's gonna to be important to the person who's actually getting the message. Is it that you just want to like have 10 times that you have a touch point or is it that you want those 10 times to have value and to take them through a process and to reveal something for them to them? It's your money, you know, it's your energy, it's your currency as a business owner. And when I was, you know, when I've worked with nonprofits or individual impact entrepreneurs or whoever I've worked with through Moped, 
it's it's personal to them too. So it's it's very similar in that way. So you mentioned in the past that it's really important to talk about really hard topics in your storytelling. And I'd love to hear your why on that. What I resonate with is that there's something at stake for somebody that has trouble dealing, like talking about something. And so if it's, I have trouble talking about nutrition because it's emotional for me, or I have trouble talking about money because it's, it's frustrating for me, or I have trouble talking about cannabis because I'm afraid of what people will think, or I have trouble talking about depression because I don't want people to judge me. There's something that people are missing out on inherently by blocking that conversation. And so, you know, going back to sort of purpose-driven organization, it's, that's the purpose. The purpose is to uncover something for someone so that they access something new and that whatever that product is, is just a vehicle for them to access that. It reminds me of, I'll shout out one of my favorite podcasts. It's called Death, Sex, and Money. And it's the tagline is things we don't talk about, but should be talking about more. And it feels Mm -hmm. like every time I listen to an episode, I have more confidence or more ease thinking about these conversations in my day to day. Like they, they talk about such like beautiful, impactful, scary stuff to talk about in a way that's accessible and non-judgmental and, and feels like it gives me tools to be like, okay, I can, I can talk about this stuff that's challenging and it's hard. And then, yeah, it comes with a lot of fear of judgment. Um, but I appreciate that. I appreciate, uh, how thoughtful you are in the whys of everything. And it, it to me, that's yeah. where, and it sounds dorky saying like, that's where a marketing mind succeeds. But it's just, when there's more behind it, you can feel it, even in the slightest moves that you make, I think. You just said something too that is, I think, so important, which is that repetition. It, it becomes less difficult the more you do it. So the first time is, you know, really uncomfortable or, you don't necessarily even try it. You're just aware of your discomfort, right? Or you are aware that, you know, you're annoyed. You don't even know it's discomfort. You're just annoyed. And then like the second, third, or fifth, or 10th time, you have another insight and, and, or you see another message unrelated to, you know, over here, you see it over there and, and it becomes the, accumulation of exercising that conversation, exercising that thought, exercising that muscle. And so uh, whether it's, you know, I've been through something difficult or I don't know how to solve this struggle I have, or, um, you know, there's something that's in my way over here. It's, it's like, you don't solve a problem by thinking about it once. And so you don't take stigma away either by talking about something once. And sometimes it's a lifelong journey, you know, and I think that you're, you're, everybody has to deal with their version of their environment, like their mental environment, their physical environment, their cultural environment, their, you know, friend environment. I mean, so it's just, um, I think that that's why it's so important to talk about it is because it's just that other drop in the bucket every single day, every single, from everyone who's doing it, everyone who's doing it. And it's, it's a, it's an accumulation. Yeah. Before you know it, you're doing a thousand push-ups. <laughs> yeah. <Not me. laughs> oh, that's good. My final question 
for right now, I should say, uh, any career advice to anyone who, similar to your story, found themselves not fully satisfied where they were at at any given point, and even if it was, you know, their quote unquote dream job? One thing I would say is really take a look at what you're measuring, you know, to enable your will, like your ability to be happy or be fulfilled. The measures can change. You can decide what's valuable. You can decide what progress is. And um, I think also be willing to miss the mark, like be willing to just try, to just try, to just try. And, you know, knowing when it's time to move from something or, move, you know, back off of something or wait to try something again, I think is also helpful. But, you know, if there's one thing I would say to myself would be to be less attached to the destination and really just enjoy the journey. Like the pursuit is the fun part. And once you get there, you know, you've only moved the needle. So there's no such thing as getting there because if you're somebody who enjoys the pursuit, you're just going to create another pursuit and another pursuit, moving the needle that can create a sense of like dissatisfaction if you're always moving the needle. But if you know you're someone who likes to move the needle to be in the pursuit then enjoy that. Yes. So up next, we've got Stan with the brand. And this is on a company called Body Form and their Womb Stories uh, series campaign that they did. So Body Form really takes pride in a lot of effort normalizing periods um, as part of their brand purpose. But then they also shine light on other wider issues that affect women's health as well. So campaign from 2020 aimed to just do that, highlighting unspoken truth with women's physical experiences such as endometriosis, infertility, first periods, menopause, and then the impact that those can have on emotional well-being and mental health as well. So the ad featured a series of animations that depict ongoings inside six women's wombs um, in a Roman with real life footage of the outward experience as well, because as we know, what happens inwards also reflects outwards, which was their point of the campaign. Uh, it was created on the back of research, which found that 21% of women feel society wants them to stay silent about their experiences, while 44% of women feel doing so has done damage to their mental health. Uh, with this campaign, it had a strong reaction on social media platforms, seeing 1,200 retweets and 3,400 likes on Twitter, and then over 1.1 million views and 54,600 likes on Instagram. And something that they had a block on was Facebook content policies. And Martina um, Gerard, the global marketing and comms director for Bodyform owner, said that if we cannot bring a positive message of empowerment for women in the media, what world are we living in? Do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat? I stand with the brand. Awesome. Would you like to elaborate a little bit into that? <laughs> I'm curious. Yes, no, I'm curious. No, I know. <laughs> well, I watched the video. Yeah. I blown away. Yeah. An extraordinary expression of all of the confusion and chaos that women experience and don't always have words to be able to define that. Um, yeah. I thought the sound work, sound design was extraordinary. It actually had me go, wow, now somebody can understand that discomfort because that's what it feels mm -hmm. like, that sound. Yeah. And 
I was so moved by just the different perspectives and, and, you know, desires and like the ability to include everybody, include so many, you know, perspectives and uh, do it in a beautifully judgment-free, just all accepting way. And I also didn't know that the footage was of real women and I'm just blown away by their vulnerability and willingness to share that. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of mind blowing to think that something that happens to every single woman and girl within a certain age bracket all over the world is so difficult to talk about. Yeah. So, I agree. And um, yeah, I love that. Uh, I agree, especially the footage. I thought it was beautifully done and it almost felt like for the first time being heard in a way because I can remember like our health classes growing up, there wasn't a lot of detail. Like um, I actually do nutrition on the side and work with women with hormones and it was spot on with everyone from endometriosis to infertility to all these different things because it is like a very taboo subject for some reason. And then thinking about other countries where some girls, once they get their period, they can't go to school anymore. And like how um, how unfair that must be because it's like, because they're having their period for the first time, then they have to miss out on all these things in life. And obviously there's really great companies that are stepping up and allowing them to be able to reach their goals and their potentials and their dreams that they want. But I think it was beautifully put and it should be out there um, in my humble opinion, because all these other things we see on the internet um, that aren't as, you know, maybe thought provoking, but, you know, if we allow one thing, why can't we talk about something that all, you know, half the population, and that's just me throwing out a number, but it's like, so many women go through this on a day-to-day basis and they're also expected to show up to work. They're expected to be, you know, maybe a mom or do all these different things and then also deal with what's going on inside their body. So I thought it was phenomenal. That's my rant for the day. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll speak to the elephant in the room. It's, it's largely because of men, I'm going to just say, and, and yeah. a fear that sort of born out of like a largely patriarchal society for however many hundreds of years uh, that sort of uh, wants to keep women as, you know, desirable rather than complex and and whole and equal. And I don't know, that might, yeah. it might seem brash, but to me, it feels like, come on, like Facebook banned this content. Do you like, do you know how much absurd, violent, gross, <laughs> lascivious, yeah. terrible content is all over Facebook? Like it's a cesspool of a platform. And for something as beautiful as this to be like, no, we, we don't want to talk about that. Uh, it's yeah. revealing of such, uh, an inadequacy I feel. And that's sort of, it touches on something like deep in me where it's like, we got to get over this. We got to be able to speak competently and elegantly about all of the things that we all are challenged by, especially something as like basic as human biology, <laughs> you know, like we're all trying yeah. to like deal with our decaying bodies every day. <laughs> like, it's like, we should be able to be like, this is what I'm going through. And 
I'm sure hands will raise all over the room. Me too. Yeah, I, I went through something similar. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just shameful and and sad and something that I seek to be more outspoken about. Um, whenever that sort of uh, ambient misogyny sort of permeates culture, it just is sort of uh, fills me with rage. <laughs> Healthy rage. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah, that I was active, like, that's beautifully put. Get your motor yeah. going from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. I I think there's what there was also just beautiful art artistry too. I love yeah. the outer space and the wombs and the light going out and the just the life force that we yeah. we understand out in space, like what that force is, or at least we try to understand it and it's something we're allowed to talk about so almost putting it up there it was like well now I don't know it also reminded me of The Fountain which is one of my favorite movies a Darren Aronofsky yes yeah yep <laughs> yeah I agree um wow. well moving on this has been uh just chock full of beautiful wisdom and insight and uh vulnerability so I'm sure these questions will pose no challenge, but we ask these questions to everyone on the podcast. Uh, and the first one is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Uh, probably a lot more than I can think of, but because I, I like to try new things. But um, I booked a writing retreat for myself for the first time. So I'm going to go, you know, turn cell phones off, shut down all other windows, of which there are many, and just... <laughs> Yes. two and a half days of glorious writing time at a little like staycation house that I booked and it feels like I'm gonna it's like it, it's so luxurious feeling like I feel like I'm going to a spa <laughs> yeah it's yes. like a spa for the mind yeah absolutely um that's lovely uh but yeah, it's not in any awesome. sort of like serene natural environment it's still it's like in town. Inglewood. Oh, okay. Inglewood. <laughs> Beautiful Inglewood. <laughs> you know what? I was through yeah. school auction uh, at my daughter's school. I, I bid for a two night getaway at this little house and I got it for like under a hundred bucks for two nights. And yeah. I was like, what am I going to do with this? And so that's, that's what I'm doing. And it's, I'm so excited. Yeah. So it's, you I sort of set that. the intention of the experience. I still, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's coming up in a few days and I've, I have found things coming into my mind, you know, like, you know, that it's happening, you know, it's happening. <laughs> have you thought of it? <laughs> like I'm pre-packing and I'm like, wait, I'm only there for two days. I can't. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, and this might be easy because you have a school age daughter, but if you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring and why? Well, I, speaking of my school-age daughter, I am like crazy proud of her and <clears throat> it would be hard to choose. So I, I would bring like a book, like an album of like all her artwork and her drawings from the past several years where I'm just blown away by, you know, she does these drawing videos on YouTube and, and has been just learning so much and I'm so proud of her. It would be between that and like a video of her reading. Cause I'm also like crazy proud when I hear her read. It's like, I turn into a puddle. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, promise I love you. it. Yeah. But I just, I'm enamored 
by like I was I was just blown away by the process of watching her go from seeing words on a page and not understanding anything to now being able to read pages and pages and pages and pages and do voices. Yeah. And talk to the author is. I'm just like, oh my God, your yeah. brain. Great. Amazing. <laughs> and finally, uh, the last question, uh, if you were to meet yourself at a younger age, uh, what advice do you think you would want to impart? I would say, stop being so scared and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like i had my fun you know and and yeah i i i think i was always second guessing uh where i took chances and yet you know things i i appreciated where i took those chances and i think they were all great chances to take um so yeah just to trust myself more you know and like not try to box into one thing think that's where I've had the biggest push pull is like wait which path do I need to take I'm like well what if there are many yeah well I think you're uh, yes. a living uh testament to many paths and many paths working yes. out um finally is there anything that you'd want to plug or how do how do how does our audience uh learn more about your endeavors and, and the work that you do my LinkedIn is probably the one capsule and I'm under Mo Isern the shift will soon be on the shift.com instead of shift the show.com. One thing I'd love to plug is that perfect just started partnering up with realm of caring out of Colorado, which is a free hotline for anybody who has questions about cannabis, whether you're a first time user or a bud tender or medical professional. And we're really excited about being able to, you know, support them. And if you are a realm of caring um, member of their community, you automatically get a discount on perfect products. So they provide that information on how to access that. And we're really just excited to be collaborating with them and supporting quality of life care through cannabinoid therapy. I love that. Um, yes. Mo, it's been an absolute delight and such a powerful, thoughtful episode. I'm so happy that you were able to do this. Thank yeah, you so thanks, Mo. And yeah, onward and upward. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.